Sometimes we miss out on what is right in front of us, distracted by lesser things, right? Like maybe playing Sudoku in church or something on your phone and everybody thinks you're on the Bible app or something, right? Uh, uh, that can happen. That can happen. Not, you know, but we're missing out on what's right in front of you. Uh, let's rewind to 1988. I was a littler version of Corey, and I was a highly politically involved uh, elementary student. And, uh, and this is a wonderful woman, Barbara Bush. Uh, and it was 1988, and it was uh, George Bush Sr. versus uh, Dukakis, if you remember that. And I was, I was a kid in local elementary, and I was selected, there was a kid from each grade level that was selected to go to an ice cream social with Barbara Bush, you know, a political campaign stop, okay? And so I, I got to go, and I was so excited. I, had a, I, I still have, I think, a Bush, uh, you know, quail bumper sticker. Anyway, um, and so it, it, I, I think I was a sixth grader, if you want to figure out my age and stuff. But uh, so we, we are in this backyard of the local state representative, and Barbara Bush is there, and she's telling us stories and telling us that, like, all the pearls that she has are fake. The only real ones she's had are ones that people gave to her. That's at least what she told us. She also couldn't eat ice cream because it made her dentures too cold. And she told us that. And she's just real down to earth about it, right? And and so we're we're having a good time. And and then, you know, uh, I finished my ice cream, okay? And there was more ice cream. So what is a guy to do? Well, you go get seconds on ice cream, right? So I went and I got seconds on ice cream. And that's when they snapped the front page picture of the Spokesman Review with the kids and Barbara Bush. And my mother the next day said, uh, now son, (laughs) weren't you at the ice cream social with Barbara Bush? And I missed out literally on the big picture uh, because of the temptation before me. And I'm not recorded in history. It really did happen. I was there. But I missed out on the big picture for the temptation that was before me. Now, that's just a fun story. It's a real story from my life. But sometimes we can miss out, quite literally, on the big picture because of something else that in the long run, an extra bowl of ice cream, you know? It was good, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, Lord, help us not to miss out on the big picture. Lord, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer, our author and perfecter. You alone should we rightly and reverently fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. And and we need your Holy Spirit to help us to hear and see and believe. Because we, on our own, God, I know... I, on my own, miss the big point often, daily. You're trying to show me something. And I pray for all of us that we'd be praying for ourselves in this message, in your word, that we would see your big picture today and be renewed and encouraged. Lord, help, help us to pray for ourselves to hear and one another and help your people to pray for me and other preachers that we would rightly declare your truth, that we would not miss out on the big story that you are writing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand if you're able for the reading of God's word from the letter to the Hebrews to prepare our hearts for the message. Stand if you're able and we'll hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 4 starting with verse 1. 
Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes, uh, the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thanks be to God for his holy and inspired word. You can be seated. So we're going to do our practice of observation and interpretation and application as we go through this section. And one thing we need to observe is, what is rest? What is the rest? It's mentioned here multiple times and seems really important. What does rest mean to the original reader? And, and chapter, three, um, chapter 3 mentioned rest, right? That they failed to enter uh, into the rest or into the promise that God was giving the people of Israel because of unbelief. They weren't able to enter in. A whole generation died just kind of right outside the promise because they didn't have belief. They weren't able to enter it in, into the, God's plan. And so for the rest, this, this, this idea of rest for the Jewish people, it's a big idea. Like the, that God rested on the seventh day in creation and he wants us to enter into a peaceful, restful relationship with him it's part of the point of his creation the six days he worked and created and on the seventh day he rested from all his works and if you read genesis carefully there's no end to the seventh day it's kind of this ongoing reality of uh, that's an invitation to god's people to rest in him right so for the reader the reader the jewish background follower of jesus who's reading this they're they're remembering the stories of israel and how the, the people instead of resting in god and his promises of the land flowing with milk and honey they they were they were trying to cling to their strengths and cling to the past that they had in egypt even though it was slavery and darkness instead of resting they were clinging to other things clinging to things of the world right and not believing that god could could conquer uh, their enemies and that God would provide for them. 
Instead, they were looking back and looking down, not looking up to God, right? They didn't have a faith that God could victoriously lead them into Canaan. And they didn't trust the promiser, so therefore a whole generation basically didn't get the promised land. Their unbelief allowed them to fear the size of their enemies. Instead of having a deep, reverent fear of God and and his immenseness and all the things he'd done for them, all the miracles, they were held captive by an unhealthy fear. And so the opposite of, of rest is, in a sense, maybe unhealthy fear. Like when we have a deep reverence of God and how big God is and good God is, and then we can rest in God, right? So this is this idea of fear, this word of fear. We want to think about this word, observe and think about what would they have heard. First, you know, our culture doesn't like to maybe use the word fear as much as the Bible does, but, but so we need to think about why, why is fear part of the story, okay? Uh, verse, verse one has the word fear, and in the Greek, the, the root word of the, the word there for fear is phobos, so the word where we get phobias, right? Things that we are scared of, right? And, and so this, we're not scared of God like just, you know, a ghost or something, uh, some scary thing like that, or a spider if you're scared of spiders. It, we don't just have a God phobia, but we have this deep, it's a deeper meaning, a deeper reverence for God. Now, one thing that's really strange or interesting I, find out about, I found out about verse one as I looked at different English translations is fear in the Greek, in the Greek New Testament, the, the, the word that's really, uh, it's let us not fear, but it's one word with phobos as its root. It's the very first word in the sentence. Now look at your English translation, okay, if you have it out, or if, or if you remember the, the ESV Here's, here's how it starts. It starts, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Gosh, we're 10 words in or so before we even hear that fear word. Right? Now, there's something to be said for different, different languages have different ordering of sentences, but sometimes translators are like us. They're humans, and the translations aren't perfect, right? So sometimes they bury the lead. And the original observer, the original reader of Hebrews would have heard the fear word up front. And so this is the ASV version from 1901 that, that it's, a very, it's kind of a wooden, hard-to-read version in some ways because they try to do a very word-for-word translation and as much as possible stay in the order of the original language as they translate into English, which a lot of other versions don't do. And they sometimes let their bias creep in. For example... We don't like to think about fear in our relationship with God. So translators, King James Version, ESV, others, put the, the promise part first. You know, they might have other justifications and rationale for why they did it, but the truth is, in that original language, it leads off with, let us therefore fear. Now, I don't know if I would have chose less happily. I struggled with trying to remember or understand the, what the word happily means. But, but my point is, I prefer that being up front. Right? Not burying the lead. And the original readers would have, would have said, let us therefore fear. Remember, the end of chapter 3 was, because of unbelief, they did not enter the rest. So let us then kind of shake in our boots a bit. Right? that we might not receive the promise of entering into God's rest. It could happen to us too. 
shake and tremble before God. You, you're not entitled to receive God's blessings just because you were born or just because you were born in, or live in this continent or something. Uh, and, and, and for the people of Israel too, shaking your boots, it, it, you too could fall to, to the reality of unbelief. We should tremble at the thought of being like the Israelites, this, this section leads off with, who died just outside the promised land, totally aware of the promise, aware of the miracles, firsthand witnesses, but never having the faith to enter themselves. Right? That idea translated now into interpretation. A Christian who's totally aware of the good news, seen people's lives transformed, but hasn't actually entered into a, a believing relationship with the Lord? That's, that's a scary thought. And so this section is, starts off, leads off with a healthy fear, a healthy reverence or awe for God that shakes at, at the reality of God's goodness and holiness that won't allow anyone to just kind of slip into his presence just because, Right? And it's also the fear of considering that I could be outside the will of God. On my own, I am outside the will of God. Only when I trust in Him and have faith in Him and His promises am I inside the will of God. Now, I, I shared with Bible, a couple of Bible studies this week, just a, a personal experience. I got a good dose of good, holy fear this week. Um, you know, I, I, I realized I was feeling... I had, had a sinful attitude in some way, and, and then I kind of had, on top of that sinful attitude, I had an apathy towards my sinful attitude. So I, I sinned on top of sin, okay? Um, and meaning, so you got your sinful attitude, and you go, oh, okay, I shouldn't have thought that way or acted that way, and oh, darn it. And it was just kind of an apathetic attitude, and... Then I had this conviction from the spirit that was from outside me thinking, hey, wake up. Where are you? Who, who are you to just be apathetic about your life? Right? Apathetic towards a sin in your life. Like, do you want to grow in that, that attitude or not? Right? Right? Do you want to just grow in apathy and think, oh, God deals with sins. He died on the cross. It's all taken care of. Somebody who kind of knows the outline of the story but isn't actually entered into it and seeing how good the promise of forgiveness is in a real every way today way, right? So God was gracious enough for me in that moment to use the Spirit to help me see my wrong and feel conviction, right? And it's a dangerous thing when you get to the place where you stop feeling conviction or feeling the need to confess sins before God or to others, Right? It's, those are acts of unbelief. Habitual sin, where you think you're hiding from God, just like Adam and Eve thought they could hide from God in the garden and make clothing for themselves or something because they're naked and ashamed and, and they could hide. They can't, can't hide. God, as our section say, sees, says today, sees everything, right? He cuts right through everything. It's like a two-edged sword. He, he, the Son of God is the Word of God and His Holy Scriptures are the Word of God and they cut through everything. They see right through. You can't hide from God. There's no habitual sin He doesn't know about. There's no little sin that He doesn't care about. He wants to have you believe in Him and He wants to grow you and make you more like your, His Son. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about um, 
being perfectionists here and we're you know, talking about how good we are and walking around holier than thou. But I am talking about real spiritual growth where we really believe that God is working on us and is never done working on us until our heart stops beating. So the author in this section today, we observe that he quotes Psalm 95 at least three times in our section. And he's doing this as, as a warning for us to, to heed the warning of the example of the Israelites who did not enter the promised land, who had all those promises, but they did not enter, right? Like, so somebody who comes into worship in this place, this sanctuary, but doesn't actually enter into worship. Have you been there? Where, you, where you're here physically, but you're actually present somewhere else. They were right on the edge of the promised land, but they weren't actually present with God. So some other Old Testament connections and situations that are either directly mentioned or uh, referred to here, creation, the creation story is mentioned here, right? The six days of creation and the seventh day connection to Genesis is here. And in and, and that way, saying that this, is our, this goes back to God's foundational plan. He, he did this story to invite us into rest with him. Jesus came, therefore, to bring us into the, the Sabbath rest, the, the wholeness with God, the shalom, right? He, his whole point of making creation was for God and, and God's creatures to have relationship together and to enter that rest of knowing that God is the provider and there's a good God who made us, right? And we disrupted that rest early on, right? That's the story of the fall of Adam and Eve, trying to do things our way, trying to know what wasn't ours to know, not listening to God, not trusting God and God's promises. So when, when, we, when we go against God's plan right, to enter into his rest, whether it's a weekly Sabbath or whether it's just living by our own rules instead of living by God's rules. We're going to vince the very grain of God's created order. Okay? Created order is about coming into rest with God. It, human beings are made in God's image, and we have this ability to do beautiful things, and we have ability to, uh, to write stories and write songs and laugh and all these wonderful things. But in our free will, we also have the ability to think we can take over the creation project. Um, and we want to do it our way, my way. But God is saying, no, the whole point of the story is to, to come back into rest with me. And so he quotes the scriptures and he says, so today, today is given so that you will enter his rest and not harden your hearts. Today, each day is a fresh day to say, will I harden my hearts and choose my own way with my free will, or will I yield my free will to God and choose God's good ways of loving, right? Loving God and loving others. Will I choose God's way or my own way? So each day today is, a, is an opportunity to enter God's rest. It's a daily thing. Your Christian life is a daily thing. It's not a one and done. Now, salvation is done in Christ, and when you believe in him, you're a new identity. We sang it today. Your sin is separated from you as far as east is from west. But the ongoing journey is a daily reality, right? It's a daily reality. So there's, there's even more connections here. We mentioned some connections to Genesis. There's also connections to Exodus. The author brings up Joshua, who's the leader who took uh, charge of the Hebrew people, or was given leadership after Moses. 
and, and he was and Joshua and Jesus share the same name. If you didn't know that in Hebrew, the name Jesus really Jesus is. A, it's close to Jesus in the Greek, but Jesus is from Yeshua in the Hebrew. So Joshua and Yeshua, that's the same, that's the same name. But the Old, Old Testament Joshua, he was someone that was to lead the people into the, the promised land. But the, the author says here, but the point is he did that, but the rest wasn't complete yet. Right? There still was a future day of God's rest. So Jesus, the new Yeshua, is greater than the Old Testament Yeshua because he's the one restoring all of creation and, and making the way for, for people to have the real rest, the real restored relationship with God. So Hebrews is already, if you're keeping score, it said that Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, and now in a really quick way has said he's greater than the old Yeshua or the old Joshua who led the, the people into the promised land, but he, he could not do what we actually needed to lead us into the deep shalom or deep rest with God. That would wait for the Son of God himself who would come to defeat sin, death, and evil to invite us into his full rest. So if you enter into relationship with Jesus through faith, Hebrews is saying, you receive the benefits, the victories that he has won. Joshua helped them have victories over the people of that area. Jesus has won the victories over the enemies that hold us back, sin, death, and evil. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection give us the entrance into God's rest. That's what makes us able to have God's spirit in us, right? But we have to receive that with belief, and then we have to live in it. We have to make daily choices to live in it. So verse 11, verse 11, if all this is true, then therefore let us strive, is, is one version, or King James Version has let us labor, or another version has something about diligence, let us have diligence. I, I might translate if I were to use multiple words like let us have an eager and earnest, diligent effort to live in the promised life that God has already made possible, that Jesus has made possible. He's invited us into his banquet. He's given us the clothes to wear. He's given us the invitation. He's prepared the food. But we, we have to labor to say, God, okay, I want to come into that. I want to set aside, and part of our laboring is setting aside that sin that so easily entangles, which Hebrews is going to talk about down the road, the things that don't belong in God's banqueting room, that don't belong in God's party, that don't belong in heaven, and I got to set aside that stuff, and I got to fight against it, and I got to enter in God's life. I got I to believe that God can see my stuff, right, including the stuff that he died for already, and I got to get rid of that stuff and I've got to ask him to expose more and more of it that I don't see. John Mark Homer, in the, the book that I'm encouraging, uh, Practicing the Way, he writes a lot about striving to be with Jesus, learning to be like him, and simply doing the things he did. That's the basic flow of the Christian life. We want to be with Jesus, learn to live like him, and do the things he did. And as we seek to do that, we'll find all kinds of things that are keeping us from being with Jesus, things that aren't like Jesus, and things that are keeping us from believing that we can actually do the th- types of things he did, right? And some of us maybe have trouble with just being with him. Some of us are you know, having trouble with how do I really become more like him and my attitudes? 
And some of you maybe don't believe, I can do things like he did. I'm just a back row Christian. I don't, you know, I'm not looking at the back row here, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm an exception to the rule. Jesus said to his church, you're going to do greater things than I have done, but he was not talking to me. Okay? Well, that's unbelief. That is simply unbelief. It's unbelief if you think, well, I can never become humble. I'm not saying you're going to become Jesus, but yeah, Jesus wants to humble people. He wants to deepen people. He transforms people. It's unbelief when we we say, this part of my life can't change. This bitterness or this hardness or this arrogance or whatever it is in your life, hey, whatever it is, don't have unbelief about it. Believe that God can change that. So, unbelief equals not living in God's rest. Unbelief equals not living in God's rest. Trusting maybe your understanding of yourself more or uh, trusting your, the wounds of your past. This is just who I am. This is just the way it's gonna be. But whatever it is, unbelief is not living in God's rest. It's not trusting God. It's trusting something more than God. Did God really say I could get freedom from that bitterness? Nah, <laughs> Right? So there are religious people who've heard a lot of God's stuff, just like the Israelites saw a lot of God's stuff, and they think they know who they are. But they're believing their story instead of God's story of who he wants them to become, somebody who's a lot more like Jesus. Right? So for me, this last week was, hey, Corey, exposing how apathy so easily creeps in don't have apathy towards sinful attitudes in your heart, Corey. Okay, God, thank you, right? Help me to strive against that. Help me to labor against that. So how, how, do, we, how do we rest and strive? It seems like a contradiction. How do we rest and strive or labor at the same time? Rest seems like a contradiction to striving and laboring. Well, first I want to just say that, that, that the rest... It reminds us that we are not working for our salvation. We are believing in and trusting that Jesus has done the salvation part for us, right? And that it's healthy for us to rest in the promises of God, our Savior, right? And so rest is an act of trusting, trusting God's word, the Son of God who is God's word, and also trusting God's written revealed word, that, that faith comes by hearing, and I need to hear what God is saying, and I need to then believe it's for me, and not just for other people, and put it into practice, Right? So resting in that, resting in that reality. But as he then exposes things through maybe reading your scriptures in a daily way or hearing something in worship on Sunday or in Bible study, it's, it's being honest that God's exposed something. Confess your sin. He's faithful to forgive it. It's daily prayers asking God, show me where you want me to grow. It's having a day, the striving could be having a daily worshipful attitude towards God. And when you don't, when you wake up and you have an anti-worshipful attitude towards God, saying, okay, God, help me there, <laughs> right? Daily, every day is an opportunity, every hour of the day, to live a life where we admit that God sees us. And he's not this mean, judgmental God who's like, oh, they better be right today, so they better strive. That's not, what we, that's not the right interpretation here. He's the God who says, I see everything. I love you still. I mean, I saw it way back then from the foundations of the world, which just blows our mind, but he sees it, right? He says, 
and I'm working on you. And I'm gracious, and I want you to grow. That's why I'm exposing things. Right? I'm a good parent who sees. You can't hide from me. You can't go put on fig leaves and pretend it's all okay. <laughs> He's the God who's saying, where are you? I, I know what's going on. I'm going to cut right through all the baloney and, and tell you where you really need to be, where you really need to grow. And I don't believe any Christian graduates out of this stuff. There are some Christians who think they do. <laughs> and obviously they have some stuff to work on, right? Perfectionism, that's, a, I think, a false belief. But, but we, we need to hear God's word and say, God, where do you want to grow me today? So how does God see you? That's how does God see you and how do you allow God to operate in your life? This two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, we're going to be in this, this section, at verses 11 through 13 again next week, so we'll, we'll dive in even deeper. But the point here is we can't hide from God. All will give account, right? We saw this as we went through the book of Revelation. Nothing will be hidden from God. There will be a reckoning. But it, so therefore, it is best to have trust in Christ and give up any falseness or any idea that we even know ourselves as well as we think we do and say, God, you know us best. You see us. And having daily prayers where God looks at us. There's an ancient daily prayer called the prayer of examine. I don't practice it regularly, but some of you may want to, the prayer of examine, where you, where you go through a process. Of, God, reveal to me what I went through this day and where I fell short. Right? You can, another simple way to do that, something I do more often, is just think through the Ten Commandments in prayer and say, did I fall on any of these or the spirit of these as Jesus taught them in, in the Sermon on the Mount? Right? I didn't murder anybody today, but did I have anger in my heart to, in, towards people today. Okay, God, I did. Forgive me. Right? Help me to do better the next time. Right? And I think a lot of Christians just want to presume on the graciousness of Jesus Christ and not do that kind of stuff. Right? Well, he's given you the invitation, but you have to enter in. God operates in our life. He reveals truth to us. He reveals the truth of our motives. He reveals the truth of how we could live with others. He reveals the truth of how a local church could be a more beautiful representation to the communities around it of Christ's love. And it's totally possible, right, that more and more of us and our, our gathering together could look, look and smell like and feel like Jesus Christ to the surrounding area. And it's a beautiful vision if you think about it. And I bet if you've been a Christian long enough, you've been around an individual who had the aroma of Jesus Christ. And they didn't just get that because of their personality. They had secret striving in their life. They had prayer times where they, God exposed things to them and they admitted things to God, right? And then Christ in them came out of them. And he can do it in each and every believer who, who believes in God's goodness and promises. He really can. So some takeaways for us. We'll get to the application now as we wrap up. Some, some takeaways. Simple. Today, seek to hear God. Seek to hear God. The Holy Spirit speaks, present tense. God speaks. Maybe not in audible words, but it says that, that he can see right through every motive, right? The intentions. So today, your striving every day is to seek to hear God. Have you gotten in a place where you say, you know what, I don't do that anymore. I read the Bible, I like studying, I like learning, but if I'm honest, I'm not saying God, talk to me, where, reveal something to me. Now, he'll reveal it in different ways. Sometimes you'll have a kid come up to you and, and say something, and, 
go, oh, wow, that kid just taught me something, <laughs> right? Or he'll have a scripture come to mind or a song come to mind. But God, God wants us to seek to hear from him. Second, seek to be obedient to what God says. If God's our coach and we, we listen to our great coach, but then we go off and do something entirely different, or he says, ah, I don't like that attitude. Oh, thank you, God, forgive me. And then we go off and do it again and again. He wants us to grow, right? So seek to be obedient. And when we fall short, admit it. And so number three, when we aren't obedient, do the next step of saying, today, God, what kept me from being obedient? So let's say you leave this place today and say, ah, I want to intentionally hear from God tonight. And then you wake up tomorrow morning, and this will happen for at least somebody here, and you go, ooh, I didn't do that intentional time with God. Okay, okay. You, you had the idea, that's good. What kept you from doing that? Right, was there something that was more important? Did you just eat too big of a hamburger and you fell asleep before you expected? Or, but why didn't it, why wasn't it a priority if you said it was earlier? And just learn from that. And God is gracious to expose that to you and say, okay, this is what kept you from obedience. The hamburger was more important than me. <laughs> Sometimes that's true. I'm not saying the hamburger is sin. Or the television show was more important than just five minutes of quiet with me. And I've been there, right? So all of this to say God God is the God who wants us to have perfect rest. That's why he sent Jesus. He's giving us rest now in Jesus and uh, in, in the kingdom of God that he's brought into this world and in eternity. He's going to give us the perfect rest, the perfect wholeness. And God meets us just as we are. God knows you just as you are and he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish outside of his rest, outside of the promises. He's wanting you to enter into his feast, his banqueting table, his kingdom where there is blessing upon blessing and abundant life. So hear this and have hope. God has prepared a place for you. And if it were not so, he would not have told you. He has gone to prepare a place for you, yes, in heaven, but he's gone to prepare a place for you, a way of living right now where he can say, where are you? And you say, I'm right here, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm, I'm waiting for you. He'll say, ah, yes. God, you have gone and you have prepared a place for us. Through your sacrifice, through your son's sacrifice, you have made a place for us in your heart, in your life, that we can enter into your peace. How amazing that is, God. And, and, and there's so many things that keep us from living in that daily, that keep us outside of the promises. So much things that keep us anxious or angry or bitter. Would you use this season to expose that in me, in us? Areas where we didn't even realize we weren't allowing you to make us new and change us. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.